Welcome to Ask the Therapist, a monthly podcast for everyone who's interested in how our minds work, building resilience through journaling and all things therapy. I'm your host, Sarah Rees, a mental health nurse and CBT therapist with over 20 years of experience in the field of mental health. In this episode, I'm talking with Martina Witter. Martina is a friend and colleague. We actually trained together a number of years ago now. We did our postgraduate diploma in cognitive behavioural therapy over at Salford Training Centre. And Martina now runs Rafa Therapy Services. She's CBT therapist and delivers workshops to businesses, helping employees and business owners reduce stress and improve resilience. She's passionate, like me, about people building emotional and psychological resilience for healthier and happier bodies and minds so we can navigate what life throws at us in a much easier way. I really enjoy chatting with Martina and I think I learned a lot and I know you will too. We talk through what emotional resilience is, the ways and strategies you can build resilience and what it means for your life. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Ask the Therapist, Martina. It's lovely to have you here. Really appreciate your time and coming on the show. Can you just introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you do? Yes, of course. So I'm Martina Witter. I'm a accredited cognitive behaviour therapist and I've worked in the mental health and wellbeing field for around 20 years. And I'm also a health and wellbeing consultant and I deliver well-being training around resilience, mental health, confidence building. And I'm an author of a book which is called Resilience in the Workplace, From Surviving to Thriving in the Workplace, in Business, and as an entrepreneur. And I'm also a podcast host of Rivers to Resilience. So quite busy. Yes, extremely busy. I don't know where I find the time, but yes. (laughs) <laughs> I don't I don't know how you do it. So you do a lot, it says like you do a lot of trainings and work in the corporate world and you're a CBT therapist. And I think being the therapist is such an interesting job. I'm always fascinated by why people do what they do. Could you tell me how you arrived at becoming a therapist? Yes. So in preparing for today's podcast, I was, you know, kind of just reflecting on my journey and the first thing that sprung to mind is that I remember my mum, she used to always say, and family members, you're quite nosy. <laughs> so I will reframe that. I'm, I'm a curious person. I'm not nosy. <laughs> you know, people really, really fascinate me. And I think you've got to have that fascination about people, isn't it? And I think it can be nosy or it can be fascinated. Definitely. That, that, that's me. I've always been, yeah, fascinated, curious and quite an inquisitive person, always trying to to kind of understand why people do, um, you know, why someone does a certain, um, takes a certain action, you know, thinking about kind of what contributes towards individual differences and personality types. So all of that has kind of contributed to, to me becoming a cognitive behaviour therapist. Initially, I was pursuing a career in clinical psychology. So that that's... Um, part of the journey and I was working in the NHS and an opportunity came to to do the the IAP training which we actually did together which was I must say the most stressful thing I've ever done in my life it almost broke me (laughs) I I agree I completely agree with that Sarah it's tough it is tough and I would say 
it, it's different to um, clinical psychology training. And I think that's tough in its own respect. But I think in terms of training as a cognitive behaviour therapist, for me, it was the videos and that intense scrutinisation and being critiqued, all of that, I found... It was tough, wasn't it? I remember we used to have these supervision groups and they'd pause a video of you doing CBT or not doing CBT very well with somebody and they'd go, why did you say that? Just awful. It was really tough. Oh, it was. I learned, I mean, once you got over kind of watching yourself on video, it is the fastest way to learn, I think. Yes, definitely, definitely. And I think being in that group setting was was so great for that vicarious learning and it helps with those blind points. And I guess even as cognitive behaviour therapists, we've all got our own unique style. We'll use different metaphors in therapy. You know, our body language is different. And I think, you, you like you said, you do pick up so much from your, yeah, from your colleagues. So it, it, there are, yeah, it is fantastic in that respect. But yeah, it was very challenging to say the least at times. It was really tough. Wasn't it? I think we were being fast-tracked, weren't we? So it, would, it was a condensed course. And so that was the other situation going on. <laughs> So people often say to me, I don't know how you do what you do. We work with people's distress every day. Can you tell me a little bit about how you personally manage working with people's distress and in the in the in the corporate world, I suppose, where I suppose when you you get called in to do training, it's you know, to manage stress in the workplace, isn't it? How do you manage that? So I guess initially, you know, ensuring that I use supervision to discuss difficult uh, cases using mentoring and coaching as well to kind of learn and develop and ensuring that you've got that space for yourself to kind of reflect and to grow because I think sometimes you can just be in the business or just in the therapy and if you don't take time to step back sometimes you can lose perspective and that can have an impact on your performance as well as a therapist or as a trainer so I would say supervision mentoring and coaching primarily but also I guess for me just ensuring that I've got clear boundaries between work and my personal life and ensuring that I do switch off which I know can be more challenging now with you know working from home and and COVID but being mindful of that of the need to, to switch off and to have those boundaries you know closing the laptop and ensuring you don't go into the office when you're not meant to be and as I'm speaking I'm thinking sometimes I do do that but you know we've we've got to practice what we preach ultimately yes absolutely and even though you might do that sometimes it sounds like you're really aware of it and I think you know with awareness you know you have more choice and you're in control rather than kind of bad habits just taking over I think it's really useful what you've said because I think it can be applied to kind of lots of different types of work and how we live our lives that, you know, it's really important to have that mentorship, coaching, that time to really constantly reflect what we're doing and, and why we're doing it. So that's really useful to, to hear how you manage that. What have you, would you say you've learned most about being a therapist and working with people? So I'd say that I've learned about the importance of vulnerability. And and for me, this is probably something that I've learned more recently and stepping away from working in the NHS. I feel that I've had more 
flexibility in how I deliver therapy and how I how I present myself as a therapist. And I've I guess I've learned about the importance of being authentic and presenting yourself as on a human level, not just as a therapist or as people may say, you know, a therapist, a, a healer, or as the expert or the professional, but just connecting with my clients on a human level. That is so powerful. And for me, I believe that that's, that's the foundation for a successful therapeutic relationship, for a therapeutic alliance to be built, because that allows the client that you're working with or the organisation to connect with you on a human level. And then they're more able and better positioned to be authentic, to be vulnerable and to share about their challenges and and their distress. And, and I believe that it, 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 this comes with time and comes with building your own inner confidence and self-acceptance and, and accepting that you've got your own flaws as well. Just because you're the therapist doesn't mean that you've got it all together at all. Absolutely not. It comes as a surprise that sometimes, doesn't it? Yes. We <laughs> two are human and get it totally wrong at times. Yes, yes. And being able just to hold your hands up and 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 say that I feel that that's allowed me to to develop as a therapist and to also be confident in how I deliver my therapy and acknowledging that there's many cognitive behavior therapists, there's maybe many coaches, many psychologists, but we all bring our own unique skills, qualities, and expertise, and owning that that's what I've become more confident and I guess probably over the past year or two with COVID and then with the you know the Black Lives Matter movement and there's been so many things that have happened and it's just allowed me to sit back and reflect and think about well what unique skills qualities attributes and life experience am I bringing to therapy and how can I use that to ensure that my client gets the most out of their therapy sessions or their kind of interactions with me because when we trained you know given the models but we've got our own personalities and we've got to interweave that in therapy we're not taught how to do that in training no it's so interesting isn't it because there's lots of people that might be listening that's not had CBT but it is we are taught protocols and kind of formulations and models and strategies and actually the kind of individual stuff comes a lot later but the research it's interesting what you say I love how you you putting it together because the research says that the relationship with your therapist that you have and how well you get on predicts the outcomes of therapy so the better the relationships the better the outcomes of therapy yes definitely definitely and this is something that I'm quite passionate about because it it is overlooked on the training course and I think that there needs to be more of a focus on that and I think I guess in private practice you've got to think about niching and what audience you're wanting to attract and I if I'm being honest I have been forced to be more authentic and I guess it's about unlearning what you've learned also that's the journey that I've been through because I can present myself as a therapist or in the therapy room or working in the NHS in quite a formal way because you've got to. Yes, you represent the NHS, aren't you? 
if I look back to my first website that I ever did, I'm literally every photograph I'm in a black dress, you know, it's so corporate. There's nothing about me at all. It was, you know, and I think it was a few years later that I then had lifestyle photos done, which was my idea of a nightmare. But it represents my personality and I'm getting me across. So people can either now look at my website instead of seeing something that's a bit more black and white, they can see what I'm about, who I'm about and make a better decision of whether they want to work with me or not. And I've come to terms with having photos done a bit more as well. You get used to it, but it's a huge learning curve, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It is definitely. And you just got to embrace that, haven't you? And yeah. I guess all of that learning all helps to build resilience and self-confidence, self-efficacy, doesn't it? It's all kind of interlinked. Yes. And a, a lot of the work you do is around building resilience and it's an area I'm also really interested and passionate about. I think it's so important that we look after our minds in the same way we do our bodies. Like we tend to go to the gym, but often we can neglect our minds which is one of the reasons why I developed the CBT journal and encourage people to do a lot more journaling so that they look after the minds. And you really focus on resilience and everything you do. Can you talk us through what resilience is from your perspective? Yes. So when I think about resilience, the image, I'm, I'm quite a kind of a visual person, a visual learner. What comes to mind is going to the gym and lifting those weights lifting those weights probably because I go to the gym or you know like thinking about a resistance band or an elastic band so it's about successfully and skillfully navigating through adversity so adversity could be like well we may as well talk about what we're all facing now living in a pandemic so how do we successfully and skillfully navigate through that how do we adapt and how are we able to it's about bouncing back whilst you're in the storm, bouncing back emotionally and also adapting and recovering in that process because it's resilience, it's a journey and it's about continual development, learning in the midst of the storm. And for some people, it may be learning post-adversity. It all depends on that individual, but it is a skill that can be learned, resilience. And I think it's interesting what you say, you know, learning to be resilient within the storm, because I think lots of people that I see really want to kind of live life without any storms or difficulty. And what I suppose one of the things pandemic has taught us is that life's going to happen no matter what. So resilience is kind of rolling with the punches that life throws at you. The tough times are going to happen, but there's lots that you can do to make yourself. It's like you can't just go to the gym for a month, can you? No, no. (laughs) It'd be great if we could. (laughs) If I could have figured that out, I would have done. We can't. (laughs) Why do you think resilience is so important? I suppose we've touched on it a little bit, but is there anything you want to kind of add to that, do you think? I would say, you know, resilience, grit, mental toughness, it's, it's important because it helps us to become more robust and it's a protective factor against stress, anxiety and depression. All of the research shows that when you've got a resilient workforce or resilient individuals, you're more able to, to cope with stress effectively. You're more able to manage anxiety, to manage depression because you're more self-aware. You understand what those early warning signs, you understand what those small changes are 
And as a consequence of that, you're more able to adjust and to use a range of strategies. You're more resourceful as well when you're a resilient person and you're more likely to maintain your performance during adversity. So let's think about the pandemic and COVID. Resilient individuals are more likely to, I guess, turn up for work and still be able to perform, although they're stressed because we're all stressed in this pandemic. I know we're all in the storm, but we're in different boats, but it, it is affecting all of us to kind of varying degrees. But there still is that expectation to perform, to work, because, you know, you've got to live. Life isn't on pause. We've still got to kind of navigate through this. And actually, if you can carry on and can keep the routine and the work of routine, it actually adds to your resilience, doesn't it? I find at the times when I've stopped and we've been really locked down and I've maybe taken some time off work, I found those times even harder, kind of keeping the routine and keeping as much of a routine and going and carrying on with work has been really helpful. No, I, I, w- I would totally agree with that. And it's that, I guess, with routine, it, it comes that kind of safety and that predictability, doesn't it? Which is important. And in some respects, it allows you to focus on what you've got control over. There's a lot of things we don't have control over in the pandemic, but it allows you to focus on what you do have control over. And that in itself helps to build resilience. And I guess it's empowering, isn't it? Yes, yes. You feel more in control. So with resilience, it sounds like what you're saying, and I totally agree with, is that it's kind of constantly doing the things that build up your resilience. So when tough stuff happens, that you can deal with it and you can navigate it better. But when tough stuff happens, and I I think, I mean, I struggle with this sometimes, you know, I know that there's habits that if I do them daily, it keeps me resilient. But sometimes it's hard to do the things that are good for us, like go to the gym or, you know, or meditate or carry on with your journaling practice and stuff. Why do you think it's hard for us to do the things that keep us resilient? So I'd say there's there's a range of factors that kind of contribute towards that. So sometimes in, in life, it's our habits. We've developed unhealthy habits and they don't shift overnight. So that can pre- prevent us. So it's our kind of behaviours, those things that we've, we've developed over time that take a while to shift and prevent us t- from doing what we want to do. Our mindset as well. So those self-limiting or self-sabotaging thoughts or beliefs that can stop and prevent us from doing what we want to do. And I know for me, I'm on a health journey and working towards losing weight. And sometimes, you know, the thought pops up, oh, you can't return to the weight that you were or you can't lose this. So there's so many stones, but it's that that mindset and it's those experiences and, and historical memories which leave it on your brain. And then they have an impact upon your behavior I guess it's kind of linking it back to um, CBT ultimately but yeah there's there's so many factors that then also there's kind of individual differences motivation as well and it's important for us to ensure that whatever we're wanting to achieve in life that some of these new behaviors that we're trying to introduce that they're being positively reinforced as well which will ensure more likely to continue with these behaviors so you know rewarding and praising change you know if we are building our resilience if we are maybe going for a walk we're building up from 10 minutes to 20 to 30 minutes rewarding that and acknowledging it as well 
Yeah, I think that's really important. In cognitive behavioural therapy, we do a lot of lots of measuring, don't we? So we kind of measure where people are and we set goals and then we kind of you can see how far you've come. And I think just looking back sometimes, like even if you have a journaling practice, you can on a monthly basis sit down and reflect over how far you've come, what you've navigated through. You can kind of think, I've not done too bad, actually. But sometimes we don't do that do we we don't allow ourselves that reflecting time that's really interesting and I think life can just be so busy and it, it can be difficult to just to stop and to also acknowledge that self-care is important and that we should schedule in time just to do nothing or just to sit meditate to reflect yes yeah I think I always talk to clients that we're very good at building, doing a to-do list and filling up our diaries, but actually you need to sit down and create the white space as well. It's just as important and it will make the kind of busy times even better. You'll be more productive and you'll get more done if you have the downtime. It's it's all balance, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. I just want to mention when you you shared earlier about, um, you know, why is resilience important? I wanted to also share that it's a protective factor against you know mental health difficulties but also a lot of the research shows and highlights that resilience and success are closely linked and when we persevere when we you know build our resilience muscle, muscles and we have passion that we're more likely to be successful so if we think about you know successful individuals sometimes we just think that success is overnight but it's not. We don't see what's taking place behind the scenes. We don't see all of the years of, of preparation that someone has had to endure. And when I was reading the book Grit by Angela Duckworth, that kind of highlights that those individuals in the, the US military who succeeded, they were the ones that had grit and, and, and resilience. And businesses that succeed, leaders and, and, and managers and CEOs that are successful, they're resilient individuals and that they, they don't give up they, they kind of persevere yeah and they focus on themselves as well don't they often and prioritize those self-care and self-development if somebody was listening to this and they thought okay I need to step up my resilience then you know I want more success in my life want to reach my goals can you talk us through some practical ways that people can build up their resilience yeah oh definitely this is I just love talking about resilience it gets me so excited and I think one of the reasons why it gets me excited is because I feel like in, in my personal life I've had to be resilient it hasn't been a choice and I cover this a little bit in my book so that's why it kind of ignites me and it's as if there's lots of sparks going off <laughs> in my brain. I think because we both work with people that are often at a time when they're really struggling and we know the importance that if you can put in some practical stuff early on and build that resilience, people just would fare a lot better. Life's a lot easier, isn't it? It is, definitely. And I think some people don't realise that you can build resilience and that's why they're potentially not looking at ways that they can build it as well. So I think it's important just to kind of challenge and bust that myth that you can't build resilience as well. I think that that's the first mindset shift that needs to take place acknowledging that you can build resilience and 
I guess my um, course, Rivers to Resilience, looks at seven ways, seven rivers that you can use to build resilience. And the first is looking at emotional regulation, and that looks at building self-awareness and then self-management through a range of different cognitive strategies. So self-awareness is key and critical. That is the first stage to any type of change. And as you shared earlier, you know, in terms of your your book on on journaling, that is the, the key stage because if you don't know yourself, if you can't locate yourself, how can you bring about change? So locate yourself. How resilient are you on a scale of naught to 10? If you're a two, well, what do you need to do to get to a five or a seven? You know, or, or where do you want to be? You may not want to get to a seven. It may just be a five. So understanding yourself, becoming self-aware, locating yourself. It's just, I always use the example of if you're going to a new destination in your car and you've got, you've got that nav, you need to type in the location. You need to know where you're going. Where are you located now? And if you don't know that, you're not going to be able to use the right strategies to help you to build your resilience. So yeah, journaling, because that allows you to understand and identify what are those blockages and barriers to you building your resilience? What are those thoughts that are stopping you from building resilience? And that's exactly what I talk about in the CBT journal is that the most the first step is about building awareness of of our minds that we need to know our thoughts, our emotions, that the more aware we are of our minds means that we have more choices over what we do and how we change and work with our thoughts, feelings and behavior. It is absolutely the first step, isn't it, to kind of building resilience. So you also talk a lot about journaling for resilience is that for solely the kind of awareness of mind is that why you promote it yes so it's it's the awareness of mind and then to allow you to move on to the next stage or the next river to resilience because if you're not self-aware if you don't understand what's taking place you know within your mind you can't bring about those changes and that's going to result in you missing out on a lot of opportunities. It will cause you to kind of remain in your comfort zone and not to reach for higher, higher heights and deep depths and, and not to not to fulfill those goals that you know that, that you might have within yourself. But also in terms of the, the journaling and, and the self-awareness, it's also about allowing someone to to build their emotional intelligence as well. So the emotional intelligence and resilience, they're all very closely connected and it it's also journaling and self-awareness it's it's very cathartic the, the whole process and it provides you with that opportunity to ensure that your thoughts are organized because we you know we experience so many thoughts every day and I know my mind as a business owner and entrepreneur it never stops and just actually being present Getting some clarity and focus and making sense of your mind and understanding the landscape of your thinking. It's so powerful, isn't it? It is. It is. So being an expert on resilience, are the things that you personally find helpful that you apply to yourself? Yes. For me, trying to learn something new is important because it's an opportunity for you to adapt, you know, to challenge yourself. You'll be faced with with resistance you'll want to give up but it allows you to be adaptable and to be resourceful and then to draw upon your kind of inner resources and then maybe about drawing upon external resources so family members 
friends, learning from, from individuals that are quite resilient. Yeah, for me, I'm always trying to think about what new skill can I learn? Or it may not be a skill, but just putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation. And that's something that I've been doing during lockdown, especially with networking and, you know, everything's online, registering for an event or for a networking event or training, whatever it might be, putting myself in uncomfortable spaces, even on, I'll go there, Clubhouse, putting myself in rooms where I feel uncomfortable. Gosh, well done. I've had a listen in, but I've not actually spoken or anything. So, I mean, yeah, I've spoken a couple of times and, you know, sometimes I don't want to, but, you know, if you want to be visible, you've got to do that. But it's about becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's how we learn. That's how we're able to develop new neural pathways in the the brain. We're able to kind of, you know, expand our, our mind. Everything you're talking about is really good for our brain health, isn't it? It really thickens that grey matter. It's very protective against dementia and improving cognitive function as well. When we learn new skills, put ourselves in new environments, what you're talking about is growth, isn't it? But growth with resilience. It's critical, isn't it? And I believe as, you know, humans, it's, it's innate for us to want to grow. But sometimes, you know, our environment or life experiences can hamper our growth or development and sometimes you've got to change your environment to change your mindset and I know for me during lockdown I've been doing a lot more walking because the gyms have been closed and that's something I'd say for me that's a new skill that I've learned it's quite simple but it's allowed me to see that actually I don't only have to do a walk for like 20 minutes or an hour I can do you know I can go two hours or three hours and that's me a sense of achievement and then also it's allowed me to transfer that learning to other situations as well which has allowed me to build my resilience and and to acknowledge that actually my capacity is far greater than maybe I initially believed. So you're building evidence that you can go that bit further you that you can do more than what you think that's yeah really really powerful. And one of the questions that I love to ask my guests, and this comes from that nosy curiosity place that all therapists have, if you could have a conversation with your 15-year-old self, so if you could go back in time, what would you say to young Martina? What would you want your younger self to know? 15? I'm just thinking, what was I doing at 15? I thought I was 15 going on 25 at that time. So I'd say to my younger self, to be authentic, just to be yourself, because I think at that time in your life, you're always, you're trying to find your identity. Yeah, I think I just wanted to be Madonna at 15. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that would be, have been lovely to be more authentic. Yeah, just be your, your, yourself, you know, just, just accept your kind of uniqueness. So for me, I, th- I think I was quite confident young person but then I was always comparing myself to friends because you're always you know wanting to well I'll say I was always wanting to I'm quite competitive actually wanting to be the best <laughs> good for you owning it yeah but I, I'd say to my younger self you know just accept yourself and just be you you don't have to to be anyone else and that actually yeah you know you are good enough mm, yeah we're okay just as we are at 15 because I think I don't think you're alone comparing yourself because you are trying to find your identity, aren't you? So you're always looking at other people. It takes a long time to pull away from that. 
I was always thinking, right, I need to be slimmer. And then now I look back on pictures, I was thinking, oh my God, you were slim then. <laughs> Nothing was wrong with you. You may have been shapely, but you weren't overweight. Oh, isn't it funny looking back? It is. Yeah. Also, I'm just kind of thinking about identity and I went to an all girls school and it wasn't very diverse at all, you know, and it was a great experience. But I do remember at that time always because, you know, my hair's naturally curly, always wanting to have straight hair. So actually just to kind of love your curls, your kinks, your coils, whatever, love your curly afro, just to embrace that and what most people say to me now is oh I love your hair but at that time I didn't love my hair at all oh gosh and I grew up with straight hair wanting curly hair I used to have perms really really bad 80s perms just for that very look that you didn't want to have that's so funny isn't it you know when I contacted you to, to come on this podcast I was so excited to hear that you're launching a course and I believe this episode will go out at the beginning of May I believe it's launching at the end of May and it's called Rivers to Resilience which I just think is a fantastic title I bet you were really pleased when you arrived at that that name because I know how hard it is to think about the right name and that just I just love you know I love that title can you tell us more about Rivers to Resilience, what it's about, how people can find out more about it? Yes. So Rivers to Resilience, it's a CPD accredited course. So it's running for a day. I guess there's three kind of individuals that we're targeting. You can kind of access it if you want to kind of build your resilience, you know, on an individual level. But it's also for employees who are maybe struggling with stress and anxiety, struggling with overwhelm. For managers as well, helping them to support their employees and staff, and also for directors of organisations who are very stressed. You know, they've they've got the weight of the organisation on them, and it's about helping them to build those resilience muscles, which is ultimately going to increase performance, increase productivity in organisations, which is ultimately going to affect and help the bottom line, which, you know, every organisation wants to, you know, to ensure that they are profitable. And all the research shows that, unfortunately, in the UK, at least 50% of employees are struggling with their mental health. So there's a big case for increasing resilience. And it's very engaging, very interactive. There's an opportunity for kind of blended learning as well. And within the training, it's an opportunity for people to also learn from one another because we've all got some degree of resilience. And we can, yeah, we can learn from one another and learn how to model resilience. Fantastic. That sounds amazing. And I think, you know, it does, you're talking about the corporate world and it, increasing productivity but I think as employees we want you know I think we're very lucky in that I know most therapists really love their jobs and we we want to go into work and do a really good job so we have to be in a really good place don't we you know for a happier life to reduce depression rates and the more resilient we are the better we're functioning in the world and the better we feel about ourselves it reduces that self-critic which is the big predictor for poor mental health isn't it so it the knock-on effects are just so broad you know where can people find out more about you the best platforms to kind of contact you on and I'll, I will link in the show notes as well okay yes yeah, so we're on all platforms we're on uh, I'm on LinkedIn as Martina Motivator Witter so feel free to connect 
We're on Instagram, Rafa Therapy Service. We're also on Facebook, Rafa Therapy Service. We're on Twitter. That's my personal handle. It's mrobertaw. And there's also my website, www.rafatherapyservices.com. Everything is on the website. But I think just going back to the course, I think for me, what makes Rivers to Resilience unique is that the rivers that we're focusing on, it's a holistic approach and perspective. So some of the rivers, it does integrate, it looks at your kind of your physical health, your emotional health, but it also integrates spirituality as well. And that's that's something that I I believe is um is overlooked in resilience. But a lot of the research does indicate that spirituality can help and does help with building resilience and spirituality doesn't only refer to you know organized religion it it can be about developing a spiritual practice or routine which may involve for example meditating or possibly you know engaging in other practices such as yoga so there's it's very holy it's about encouraging individuals to find out what are those specific rivers that you need to build to ensure that you can enhance your resilience. And it also takes a strengths-based approach as well, because we've all got strengths and it's about acknowledging them and building upon them and leveraging them to build our resilience in order for us to be successful in life. That's fantastic. I'm sure, you know, people are going to get so much from that. And I Hope everybody's listening, head over and have a check it out. Thank you so much for coming on today. I've really, really enjoyed chatting to you and catching up with you. And I found the information so valuable. It's really got me thinking. No, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here on the fantastic podcast. And just to kind of, I guess, reflect on resilience and, you know, what it is, what it's like being a therapist. I I value this opportunity because sometimes you're just so immersed in it. (laughs) it's lovely to share the things that we do as well that you know that we are all humans and we are constantly working on ourselves as well and building up our own resilience nobody's uh, you know gets away with it being human is complicated it's very tricky and it takes that holistic approach thank you so much you take care i will do thank you thank you for listening to as a therapist for more information about the CBT journal, visit my website at sarahdreese.co.uk. You can also sign up to download your free guide to building emotional resilience, delivered straight to your inbox. You will then also receive regular newsletters where I share my blog posts, podcasts, and tips and strategies for better mental health and psychological resilience. Don't forget to review and subscribe to the podcast, and you can also share episodes on social media using the hashtag AskTheTherapist. This episode was written and presented by me, Sarah Rees, and edited by Big Tent Media and produced by Emily Crosby Media. Music